This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here and I'm a sex addict and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012 and I'm excited to be back with you for another episode. Um, I have lots on my mind today, but um, I really want to focus on leveling up your recovery. So this comes from just my own experiences over the last year because evolution happens, right? We evolve as people. And it's important that we evolve as people. It's important that we change. It's important that we learn new things. It's important that we become a new person over and over and over again, that we're constantly kind of taking evaluation and looking at things and deciding what's helping us and also evaluating what might be hurting us. I've gone through this evolution process several times over my recovery, um, and most currently, it's been as I've become a therapist. I just graduated from school a few months ago and am now working full-time as a mental health therapist and working with people particularly in addiction, both sides of addiction, particularly sex addiction, I should say, and both sides of that, um, both people who have addictive behaviors and also Uh, family members or partners of those that have those addictive behaviors that have been betrayed by that. And looking at those things and looking and seeing that every day, all day long, has caused me to also look at my own life and my own recovery and kind of take an evaluation. So I wanted to share with you a little bit about my own process, um, where I came from as far as my recovery practices and kind of where those have been and also what I'm looking at now. And I hope that's helpful for you. Um, I've often heard it said, this I think comes from AA, it might come from NA, but I'm pretty sure it's AA, um, that recovery isn't about remaking your old life. It's about building a new life that doesn't require an addiction. I love that. I'm going to say it again. So recovery isn't just about remaking your own, your old life. It's about building a new life that doesn't require an addiction. And that fits for me personally with my view and frame of addiction. I view addiction as a mal, like therapeutically, we would call it a maladaptive coping mechanism. Okay. Basically, there was something going on or has been something going on or is something going on for you that requires you to have a survival strategy or a coping strategy. We all have coping strategies. Coping strategies range from really benign to really malignant. Um, Addiction is one of those really malignant coping strategies that causes more problems in the long run than it fixes in the short term. And so we always have to ask ourselves, okay, if we have a maladaptive coping mechanism, right? If we have an addictive behavior and it's causing problems, we have to stabilize that behavior so that we're, it's no longer causing problems. But we also have to ask ourselves questions like, 
why are you coping? What are you coping from? Like, what's going on in your life that you need a coping mechanism, right? What's happening that this is taking over your life? What is it that caused this maladaptive coping in the first place? And so we have to always keep that question in mind as we go throughout recovery. And as we discover the answers to that question, the need to cope gets less and less and less and goes away, right? As we figure out the need and what's driving that, why I need to cope, why I I need this maladaptive uh, coping mechanism, and I figure out those answers, the need to cope goes away. And it lessens and lessens and it changes. And I think we all need coping strategies because our world is somewhat traumatic, just living in our world. Um, And so I think we all need some coping strategies, but our need to cope in destructive ways goes away. And our need to cope in general lessens. So as you build this new life, these things change and your world changes and your beliefs change and who you are changes and it all changes and you evolve. I evolve, you evolve, and we have to continue to evolve. A quick, um, quick thought on evolution in general. So I am 45 and I don't have wisdom teeth. And I never had to have wisdom teeth taken out. I never had to deal with that at all. Thank, thank, I'm just so glad. Thank heaven for that because I don't love the dentist in general. I have some trauma there and all sorts of stupid things. Anyway, back to the point here. We are evolving as people. They're finding more and more people are born without wisdom teeth that wisdom teeth don't come in. Why? Because we have better teeth hygiene in general and we don't need those wisdom teeth. And somehow that gets passed along in our genes that we don't need that extra pair of molars to come in and we don't have to worry about it. And so more and more people are being born without wisdom teeth. That's something that they're seeing more often. And that's because somehow our genes track that information and pass it on. That our, we have, As we have better oral hygiene, we don't need that extra pair of molars. I definitely think that happens with addictive behaviors too. While there's not a whole lot of clarity around the genetic component of addiction, we have no idea, we don't really have a lot of information there. Addiction does tend to run in families. And why does it run in families? Because families grow up in a similar environment, right? And so they have similar coping mechanisms. What was modeled for them is how they learn. And And I love that on so many levels and also it can bite us on so many levels, right? But point here is that we have to continue to evolve and change and get better. If we're not evolving as people, we become stagnant. I'm curious if you've ever been around like a stagnant pool of water, like a lake or a pond or a puddle um, that has become stagnant, okay? Usually people describe those as somewhat gross, (laughs) dirty, right? It grows a lot of moss. Um, it gets really slimy. It can get really slippery. There's bugs that collect, uh, that can be dangerous if you're like, you know, worried about West Nile and all sorts of stuff like that. But my question is what creates that stagnant water, right? Why does water get stagnant? Because I think it's the same thing on why people get stagnant. So a lake, a pond, a puddle, gets stagnant because there's no output of that water, right? 
What creates a healthy water system is input. So there's water coming into the, um, the lake or the body of water, but also there's output. Output also is an important part of creating a healthy water system, the input and the output. And we have to be taking things in. We have to be also getting rid of the trash or the garbage and letting things go. There's got to be input and output in our lives. Those things that we're taking in um, are important and we have to pay really close attention to that. And there's a lot of really great recovery tools around how we you know, handle what comes in. But we also have to pay equal attention to what goes out and how we get rid and let go of some of these things. Some of these things we need to kind of take inventory of maybe beliefs, faulty beliefs, um, habits, thoughts, attitudes, lies, behaviors, things that we need to get rid of in our lives so that we have a healthy mind, a healthy system. It could be a whole lot of things, but we have to be letting go of these things in order to be changing and evolving and moving forward. Early on in my recovery, I once heard a man talking about his own recovery. And he told this really great story um, that really had a profound impact on me. He had talked about how he was sober for a bit of time. I think it had been five or six years. But things weren't really moving forward like he wanted at that time in his life, right? A lot of times we have this idea that, okay, if I'm six years sober, like why isn't my life the way I want it to be? Why am I still struggling with things? And he wondered what was wrong. So he found, sought out and made an appointment with someone that he really trusted, someone who knew about his recovery and also had a long recovery as well, more recovery than him. And he talked about how they walked and talked and all sorts of things. And it was really great information, all of it. But the part that really struck me was when his friend said to him, you know, maybe the God that got you sober isn't the God that's going to keep you sober. Have you ever considered that? And that one moment had a profound impact on this man. Also me when he was telling me about it. Um, because I believe that that is true on so many things in recovery and not just about our spirituality. But what got us sober maybe isn't going to keep us sober. What got us into recovery isn't. I know it's not going to be enough to keep us in recovery. And that might have to do with your relationship with God, but it also might have to do with a million other things. As you evolve, the things around you in your life have to evolve as well. And that means that what you did to get sober may not be keeping you sober, or it may not be moving your life forward to where you want to go. Because sobriety is not the end goal of recovery, especially in sex addiction recovery. Sobriety is just a stepping stone. It's just a stepping stone. It's what's going to get us into healthy relationships. It's what's going to get us what we want as far as connection goes. It's going to clear out our mind and allow us to make the changes that we need to as people. But sobriety is not the end goal in sex addiction recovery. And it's important. It's important. It's an important part and it's an important stepping stone, but it's not the end goal. Um, and if it is your end goal, then I would challenge you to really think about the quote I shared at the beginning um, about that sobriety or recovery isn't about uh, remaking your life. It's about building a new life. And yeah, sobriety needs to be a part of that. But there also needs to be so much more that's going to help you to move forward to where you want to go.
When I first started my podcast, I did an episode on a recovery plan. It's like episode one, literally episode one. Episode zero, I shared my own story and kind of why I was doing this podcast. And episode one, I shared the basics of my recovery. In that episode, I outlined four recovery pillars that I believe are essential to recovery. I still 100% believe that these four pillars are essential to recovery. I want to revisit these pillars today, though, and talk about what they might look like as you progress further in recovery. Um, I recognize that next month, so July of of 2021, um, I will have been in recovery for 10 years. And as I progress in recovery, as my life changes, what these pillars look like in my life changes as well. They're still there because I 100% believe in them, (laughs) but they change and evolve just like I change and evolve, just like my recovery changes and evolves. And if it's not, where are you going? What's your goal, right? Then you're a little stagnant and you got to look at why am I stagnant and what problems is just being stagnant causing in my life. So there's a worksheet available for download with this episode. It's the same one that I I gave you for that episode one. You can find the link on the website, um, worthrecovery.com, or it's in the show notes if you're accessing this from someplace other than the website. Uh, It shows the four pillars and it gives you some great questions to ask yourself to gauge where your recovery is. And I'm going to read those questions at the end of this episode so you can also kind of take note of where you're at. But these four pillars... I just 100% believe in and are essential to our recoveries. So we're just going to review them real quick. The first one is rituals and routines. The second one is connection. The third one is accountability. The fourth one is 12 step work. Okay. So I love Albert Einstein. It's one of the things I always love. Love Albert Einstein and quotes and who he is. And anyway, you don't need to know about that today. But this is the quote that I always use when I talk about these four pillars. We cannot solve problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So we cannot solve problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So I always reflect when I'm looking at these four pillars of my recovery program, I always reflect on the idea that I think I'm a pretty smart person. (laughs) I mean, I did do like a bachelor's in applied mathematics, right? So like... I think I'm a pretty smart person and yet my very best thinking landed me in a therapist office with a pretty heavy sex addiction. That was my very best thinking got me there. And so we have to be open to new ideas and new thinking and new options in our lives when we're working on recovery because our very best thinking got us here. Our very best survival techniques, our very best maladaptive coping strategies got us to an addiction. And the trauma and other things as well, for sure. But we've got to open our minds to new ideas and new thinking so that we can change that process. So our first pillar, rituals and routines. When I first started recovery, my rituals and routines included a very strict daily routine of reading, um, some set prayers from the program, uh, calling people on a regular basis, Uh, journaling, but it was really strict. Um, I also have on there listed your relapse contract. 
and I had a very strict relapse contract and what I would do if I relapsed and what was going on. Um, I also had a very strict trigger release process that I would follow every time I felt that trigger coming on or, or was triggered in the moment. And in episode one, I outlined what those really strict routines were. They were amazing. They were awesome. They got, they got me where I needed to go. And as I've gotten further in recovery, right, like where I'm at now with those types of things, my daily routine, I still have a daily routine. It includes a lot more than just recovery reading. Um, there are some affirmations. There is some reading. I'm always reading because I love reading and I think input is really important. But my reading has broadened. I'm reading um, different types of books, books on shame, books on leadership, books on self-esteem, um, other things like that, that have really helped me, a radical acceptance, other books that have really helped me kind of move my life forward, right? Now, that doesn't mean I don't visit recovery books. I absolutely do. Uh, I make sure that I get through the AA book at least once a year. I make sure I get through a fellowship book at least once a year. But those aren't just my strict strict reading anymore. There's other options that I that I incorporate as well. I do think a daily routine is really important. It includes other things too in my life. Like I realized I needed to, you know, step up my game as far as adulting. So uh, for a while, my daily routine included like making my bed. That's a habit now that I don't really worry about. It's not part of my routine that I am strict about. Um, but there are different things that have had to kind of evolve as I've gone along. So I would encourage you if you're in a strict routine, sometimes people call it dailies, which is awesome, that you evaluate. Are those dailies still getting you where you want to go, right? And that you branch out and include other options that might be helping you. Other things like affirmations, meditation, different types of prayers, different types of reading, different things that might move you forward on a regular basis. As far as my relapse contract goes and my trigger release process, I am still sober. I definitely still have a relapse contract, um, though it's not something that I keep out and visible with me anymore. I used to make sure that it was, um, that I looked at it on a pretty regular basis uh, because I wanted to make sure that I knew what I needed to do, right? If I relapsed a lot, a lot of times just knowing what I needed to do or what I was going to have to do would keep me from relapsing. So I had this out and I would look at it on a regular basis. Now it's in a folder put away on my shelf here in a binder with all of my kind of early recovery work. However, it's still there. I know where it's at. I know how to access it. But as I look at like relapse contracts, for instance, I recognize that my sobriety has had to change a little bit as I've gone um, throughout my 10 years here in recovery. There's been bottom lines that have changed. There have been um, evolution and different types of behaviors that go on that bottom line list or in that inner circle um, that, not are, that are not just about sex addiction. Um, I've had to look at my relational behaviors. Um, I've had to look at how I respond to people um, do I leave people hanging? I've looked at how I treat people. And these are things I'm still working on, guys. Like, I'm not perfect at this at all. At all. 
So these are things that I have been considering and, you know, moving and in and out of circles and figuring things out. Food, different aspects of shopping, different aspects of things that have, you know, ended up on that bottom line list that I'm continuing to work on. And so while I still have those strict behaviors around some things, uh, there's also additional things that I have to look at. I love in the, it's the essay white book that talks about if we're not sober from all of our addictions, all of our addictive behaviors, um, then we still have a lot of work to do. I think they go as far as to say then we're not really sober. I don't know that I would agree with that part um, because I think we have to work at things one at a time sometimes, but uh, we definitely can, can, our sobriety definitely needs to broaden the further that we get in recovery. And we need to take in more ideas and more things that, that are causing us problems at the time. Uh, as far as trigger release processes go, because these rituals and routines are so important, um, trigger release process is a little bit different for me now. Uh, when I first started being a therapist in sex addiction recovery, I would say that there was a just a lot of extra sexual energy that came into my life as I'm listening to people's addict addiction stories or recovery stories or problematic behaviors or partner stories. There was just a lot of extra sexual energy. Um, I started going to more regularly. I started going to a different S fellowship that was really helpful. Um, I've started to look at some different, different things in my own uh, sobriety and recovery. But I was definitely triggered a lot um, in the early stages of therapy. I've now been a therapist for a year, which isn't all that long, but it's definitely shifted and changed, and changed as I've gotten used to that uh, level of sexual energy in my life. But I had to make a lot of phone calls at the beginning. I had to call people and talk about being triggered and what that meant and how it was different. And, and I had to do a lot of, a lot of things at the beginning to incorporate that energy. Um, and so trigger release for me looks a lot different now. While I do make regular phone calls and things like that to people, um, I also have my own practices just around stress, um, around completing like the stress um, release cycle in our lives. If you haven't read Burnout, I'd highly recommend that. It talks about uh, getting rid of the stress in our lives and what that means. Uh, it's incorporated for me, like I've started a regular boxing routine. One of my coaching clients um, really got into boxing and she would talk about it all the time. And I was like, I'm gonna try that. And so I did, I love it helps to kind of release a lot of that stress and tension and things going on in my life. So it's had to evolve over time. Things have had to change. And, and so I'd encourage you to look at the rituals and the routines in your life and what needs to change, what needs to level up, what needs to um, evolve so that it's meeting your needs now and currently and that you're not just bored with the routine that you do. That was pillar one. Second pillar is connection. So the question I have for you to think about, who are people I can connect with on a daily basis? Now, early on in my recovery, I was having to connect with people daily. That was like so essential. And I had a list of people. And mostly they were people that knew about my recovery, that were in my 12-step fellowship or other support circles that I had. And they were people that I could talk with about my recovery. Now, my connection now is different. It's totally different. Well, I have a few people in my life that know the, my whole story, 
there are a lot of people that in my life that don't. And that's okay. I've learned how to connect with people in a different way. I've learned how to talk to them about, you know, things that are important to me. Um, but I don't have to tell everyone my whole story. But I've incorporated a lot of different types of connections in my life, both professional, personal, um, recovery connections. And these are people that I, you know, that I talk with on a regular basis. Might not be daily, but I talk with on a regular basis. I've learned to be more judicious on who I spend my time with and what that looks like. I think early on in recovery, I wasn't really great at understanding connection and I wasn't really great at like, you know, making sure that both people had time to talk or I wasn't always forthcoming about what I was really struggling with because I, you know, had problems with intimacy, right? That looks a lot different for me now. And I've got people in my life that are a lot different that help me to connect and have that connection on a different, different level. So make sure that your connections are evolving as well, that you're not staying stagnant with just a few people that you just say the same thing to over and over again, but that your connections are evolving as you evolve as a person. That's really essential. I can't, I can't say that enough. As you evolve, your connections need to be evolving. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of people out of your life. It just means you've got to understand a little bit more about how to connect with them. The third pillar is accountability. What external accountability do I have in place in my life? Now, again, early in recovery, accountability is a huge, huge piece of recovery because most people are acting out in some type of secretive way. Not all, but most. And we've had a lot of lies and we've told, we've been really deceptive and we've harmed people. And we have to have some external accountability in place in how we're going to handle those things. And so having people that I regularly checked in with that could hold me accountable, right? That could uh, call me out if they saw things and that could help me to, to make sure that I was continually being honest. I read or I heard recently actually someone share that in their recovery, they had to do like a secrets list on like a weekly basis. They would sit down and they would write out, what am I keeping secret? And weekly they would check in with themselves about that. What am I keeping secret? What am I keeping secret? Because they were real, that was a big part of their acting out and a big problem for them. And I would say same for me, right? Accountability was really important. Again, as I've evolved in recovery, that accountability has moved more from external to internal accountability as I've built trust with myself, as I've understood more about my own tendencies, my own addictive behaviors, my own recovery program, my own addiction, my own trauma, um, that accountability has moved more from external to internal. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have external people in my life. I still do. I have a therapist that I meet with. I have a few friends that I, you know, am really honest with about certain areas of my life. But a lot of that accountability has in turned internal, which is awesome because it, it allows me to build trust with myself. And the more that I've learned to trust myself, 
the more comfortable I am with other people. The more that I've learned to trust myself, that I will show up appropriately, that I will handle things in appropriate ways, the less risk it feels to be connected with other people because I'm holding myself accountable and I trust myself. And the more that I trust myself, the less risky it is to connect with others. So make sure that your accountability is evolving. If you don't feel like you have a lot of trust in yourself, that's an area where you need to work on. If you still feel like there are people in your life that don't trust you, that's an area you need to work on too. That accountability needs to move from external to internal. You need to be able to trust yourself more and more. And if you're not, if you're, if you're not getting what you need and you're not trusting yourself and you're not keeping your commitments, that needs to be an area of focus for you. The last pillar is 12 step work. And the questions are, what step am I currently working and how often am I making progress towards this step? Now I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy around 12 step work and 12 step fellowships. And I don't, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> um, what I want to say is the 12 step recovery process. And the 12 steps of, let's say this, the 12 steps of recovery alone by themselves are amazing personal journey work that I think everybody on the planet should go through. Um, I don't care what fellowship you're working. I don't care if you go to 12 step meetings, to be honest. I mean, I do think support and fellowship is important. I do think understanding, um, having people that understand the problem that you are working is important. I think being honest and having a place to be honest and accountable is important. I think all of those things are highly important in recovery, but I just don't want to get into the controversy. And so the 12 steps just on their own are amazing work. They're amazing. They take you through this personal journey of understanding so much about who you are as a person, your beliefs, your um, your spirituality, what that means to you. Um, also being accountable, just so many, so many principles there. And so if you haven't taken the opportunity to work the 12 steps, I'd highly encourage that in your life. Again, I don't care if you're going to a fellowship meeting, there are ways to work the 12 steps without a fellowship meeting. Do I think fellowship meetings are awesome? I do, depending upon which one you're going to, because as we all know, there can be really great meetings and there can be really problematic meetings, but having a support circle is important. But working the 12 steps has been amazing for me. I've worked the 12 steps in four, four different programs, four different programs with different sponsors each time or different guides each time. Um, and one time just on my own in a workbook. I think that there is value in doing it together as a group with some people. I think there's also an, just an amazing process of doing it repeatedly. The different layers that come off, the different understanding that comes off. If you haven't taken the opportunity to work the 12 steps or you've stalled out somewhere, I highly recommend you resurrect that in your life and look at what the 12 steps have to teach you. Again, I'm not into the cultish nature sometimes of 12-step fellowship meetings, but I am into support circles. I am into the 12-step work. I am into having people that know and understand your problem and their problem similarly. Those are all 
incredibly valuable pieces of recovery. So those are your four pillars, rituals and routines, connection, accountability, and 12-step work. These things make for amazing recovery. And these things need to evolve over time as you evolve as a person. If you're still doing the same daily set that you did when you started, you may need to look at that and change it up. If you're still connecting with exactly the same people and that feels a little stagnant, then again, you've got to look that up and, and evaluate. If, you're, if your accountability is still mostly external, you need to look at that too. And if, you're 12, if you haven't worked the 12 steps, you need to look at that as well. All of these four things, I think, is what creates this transformational process that we call recovery. Because recovery is about, it's not about sobriety. It's about building a life that you don't need to cope from. That's what it's about. It's about building a life that doesn't require coping. Or at least requires less coping and less ideas, right? If your coping is, you know, not harmful, then then you're going to be better. Um, I hope that you found that helpful today. I think that there are so many times where um, we get really rigid about recovery and we get really rigid about, well, this is what happened. This is what I did at the beginning. And so this is what I need to do now. Reminder that the God that got you sober might not be the God that keeps you sober. What got you into recovery is not going to keep you into recovery. All of those things have to change and evolve over time as you change and evolve as a person. It's essential. We all evolve. Evolution happens for all of us. And so we need to make sure that we allow that process in our lives and that we account for it so that we're continuing to correct and move in the direction that we want to go. At the bottom of this worksheet, there's um, some, there's 10 questions and to help you evaluate. The questions are, is my well, the first one, the title here is, is my program working for me, right? Is what I'm doing working for me, okay? So these 10 questions help you to evaluate. You're going to rate yourself on a self, uh, sorry, you're going to rate yourself on a scale from one to five where one is like totally false and five is totally true. So number one, I have a consistent daily routine that helps me stay recovery focused. Two, I execute my daily routine on a consistent basis, even when I don't feel like it. Three, triggers are speed bumps in my life, but not major roadblocks. I think that one's important. Number four, I initiate connection at least once a day. Number five, I am honest with those I connect with. Number six, I have at least two sources of outside accountability. Number seven, I attend a 12-step fellowship meeting at least once a week. Uh, You've heard my little rant. I'm a little softer on that now. At the beginning, I highly suggest that for my clients, Um, but I am a little softer on that now. Number eight, I have a sponsor that is guiding me through working the 12 steps. Number nine, I know what step I am on and I am taking action towards completing it at least weekly. And number 10, I am happy with my progress in recovery. So, Don't be stagnant, right? Time to evaluate. I I have it set in my calendar that I evaluate kind of these four pillars every six months. I look at what's working for me, what's not working for me. I take out my bottom lines and I look at what what needs to change or what needs to be added or altered. How, How am I moving? Am I moving towards the direction that I want to go, right? So that's my challenge for you today. If you haven't evaluated this recently, 
then it's time. If you're new to recovery, go back and listen to episode one where I, I outline really detailed what these things look looked like for me in my early recovery process. If you're further into recovery, print out this worksheet and look at what this needs to look like now for yourself and really evaluate where you're going and if you're making that progress. I'm grateful to all of you um, for listening and for continuing to support Worth Recovery. Um, we're, we're in a change process. I'm in a change process, which means this is in a change process. And I appreciate so much your support as we go through that. I hope that today, wherever you are, no matter what's going on in your life, that you will remember that you are 100% worth recovery. 100%. There's no doubt in my mind about that at all whatsoever. No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter what's going on in your life, you are worth recovery. I know that. If you don't, you can rely on my knowledge until you do. Um, look at your rituals and routines and your connection and your accountability and your 12-step work and use that in your life to get you where you want to go. Remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.